Hey, I'm Jeff Moss, also known as the Dark Tangent, the founder and creator of Black Hat and the DEF CON hacking conferences, and I'm here with Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and today we have episode 233 for August 16th, 2021, and as you may have guessed from the intro... Today, I will be interviewing Jeff Moss, the founder of DEF CON and Black Hat, as it turns out. If you have not listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend that you do that. Uh, this was my first DEF CON. I went to the first DEF CON ever this year, DEF CON 29, and it was it was just fabulous. Just It was everything I'd hoped it would be. And, you know, of course, when you somehow manage to bag an interview with Jeff Moss, it just really is the cherry on top and whipped cream and sprinkles <laughs> and the whole bit. Before I get to this interview, let me tell you a little bit how I approached this and how this all came to be. I wanted to kind of take my listeners, you guys, to DEF CON with me and kind of experience with me through my eyes. And since most of my audience is non-technical, I really kind of wanted to demystify the whole notion of hacking and hackers and and, and discover for myself. I mean, I'd never been to DEF CON and what this was all about and kind of bring that back. And I got really, really great interviews from some of the folks there and captured some of the moments for the contests and kind of relayed my experience. And it was, it was really, uh, honestly, almost life-changing. I don't want to make it sound huge, but I mean, it was really amazing. I mean, I, I at this point, I will plan to go back every year. And uh, if you've never been, if you've never been to a DEF CON, I w- would highly recommend it, even if you're not a hacker, uh, even if you're not a software developer. <laughs> I mean, it's 300 bucks at the door to get in. And it's one of the cheaper conferences you're going to find. And Las Vegas, you know, just going to Vegas, if you've never been, is pretty amazing. It's uh, worth experiencing once in your life. But, okay, so let me explain a little bit how this all came about. How in the world did I, Gary Parker, manage to get an interview with Jeff Moss? So I'm not going to go back to, like, the day I was born or anything. But, I mean, for me, all of this started for me with Snowden. And after the Snowden revelations, I decided I wanted to do something. I've been a software engineer. You know, but always kind of personally a privacy guy. Uh, and so kind of got into some cybersecurity stuff. I wrote a book, which was really cool and really enjoyed doing that. And then eventually got into a podcast. After being invited to be a guest on one, I ended up taking over his podcast and then making it my own. And somehow, some way over the course of the last four or five years, I've managed to interview some really amazing people. But it all really kind of culminated with COVID because last year, you know, COVID hit and a lot of companies were struggling and including my company, Cisco at the time. Uh, and so they knew they were going to have to cut some costs and then uh, they would do some layoffs. And so they started with voluntary stuff and they came out with this early retirement package. And I, I hadn't even thought about retiring this young and turned out after I crunched the numbers, I could do it. So anyway, in October of last year, I retired early from Cisco. And that same week, and because, again, because of COVID, there was a virtual, there were several virtual conferences, and I was looking at some cybersecurity stuff and some privacy stuff and ended up going to this one called PEPR, P-E-P-R, which is the Privacy Engineering Practice and Respect Conference. It's a Usenix conference. And at that conference, I met Melanie Ensign. And I didn't, you know, think much of the time. I met other people there, too. Cut to this summer, Melanie reached out to me and said, hey, we're trying to kind of get the word out about this Hackasat 2 thing that's going to be at DEF CON. And, you know, would you let us do a guest blog? And I'm like, well, I don't really do guest blogs. I don't, I do them all myself. And then I said, well, what about an interview? And she said, oh, that'd be great. So she hooked me up with the two guys from that program. We had a great 
interview and I responded back to her and said, oh, hey, you know, just FYI, uh, it was great. Thanks for hooking me up. It was a good interview. It's live. Please help me, you know, promote it. What I didn't realize at the time was that Melanie was, I think, chief press person for DEF CON. <laughs> so she replied, said, yeah, you know, we, we'll upshare DEF CON and, you know, Jeff Moss will retweet that for you. And I'm like, you know, I was kind of stunned. I'm like, Is, uh, you know, Jeff Moss? She's like, oh yeah, we're good friends. I'm the head person, at, <laughs> the head press person or whatever at DEF CON. And I'm like, holy crap. And I said, and then she actually, I think said, would he'd make a great interview for your podcast. And I said, yeah. So anyway, uh, as they like to say, uh, luck favors the prepared, which you might know, <laughs> you might've heard that in the Incredibles, but turns out I, I looked it up. It was Louis Pasteur, I guess, who was credited with saying that originally. And I think that's even a takeoff of an old Latin phrase. Um, but it just kind of all came around and who knows, maybe someday I'll, I'll get to actually interview Snowden. That would, that would really just kind of tie this up in a nice little bundle. But anyway, uh, so now let's talk about this interview. So I, I find out that I'm going to be able to interview Jeff Moss and I still don't quite believe it. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's super busy. Uh, you know, I won't get my hopes up. I, I won't even tell the listeners about it because I don't want to get their hopes, hopes up either and not be able to deliver. But this is several weeks beforehand, and Melanie says this to me, and I'm like, okay, cool. That, I, that'd be wonderful. Looking forward to it. Start preparing my questions, kind of getting the idea of what I want to do, formulate this, this thought that I want to explain hacking and uh, hacker culture to my audience. And I figured, well, that'd probably be something that Jeff would be interested in talking about, or at least I hope so. Eleven days before DEF CON... Melanie had started an email with Jeff and I, and Jeff responded saying, you know, what about Sunday morning? And I'm like, oh, great. There's Jeff. I'm actually talking to Jeff now. And I said, great. Name the time and place. Well, DEF CON rolls around. I'm there. I'm on site. I'm in Vegas. DEF CON's already started. And it's Friday uh, at, before the Sunday morning interview was planned. And I hadn't heard anything yet. So I thought, okay, well, I, you know, Jeff's, I'm sure busy. But I reached out to Melanie kind of directly. And I said, okay, well, just FYI, I, you know, I haven't heard back yet, but yeah, here's my cell phone number. And, you know, that'll work on Signal too, if you want to reach me there. Uh, and then Saturday around 1.30, uh, I get an invitation to a Signal group chat and it's Melanie and Jeff. And I'm in the middle of a roundtable discussion uh, on, oh gosh, what, I don't even remember what it was on at this point. And I, I get this thing and I'm, David, my buddy's next to me and I'm showing him like, this is it. This is the... <laughs> This is Jeff. And, and Jeff says, Hey, you know, I could pretty much do it anytime between now and 6 PM. When do you want to do it? And so this is Saturday. I, I planned to do it Sunday morning. And so I hadn't quite, you know, polished off my questions and everything yet. And so I'm like, Holy crap. So I said, yep. How about, uh, how about 4:30? He says, great. So, you know, he wants me to meet him at this particular place. And I said, great. So at this point, I immediately ditched the, this, this meeting I'm in, I, I duck out and bring David with me. And we go back to the hotel room. I'm like, okay, dude, I got like two hours to, to polish this up and get ready. And so uh, I sit him down and David helps me test the recording equipment. I got this kind of little Sony handheld recorder, the kind of thing you might see a doctor, you know, kind of dictating into, but it's got inputs for microphones. And I've got uh, two little wired lav mics and a splitter so that each mic uh, will be in a different channel left and right. It makes it easier for me to edit. So that was, that was kind of my rig. It was all battery powered and very, you know, very low budget, but very simple, which turned out to be key. So anyway, so we tested it, seemed to be just fine. And then I'm like, okay, dude, I got to get my game face on. I'm going to get this done. And uh, so kind of kicked David out and focused on what I was doing, whipped out the laptop and started, you know, refining my questions, getting them in the right order, make sure I'm phrasing them in the right way. Cause I didn't want to take any chances that I was going to on the spot kind of clam up or, or whatever. And so I, like, I wrote it out the way I wanted to say it. 
And so I'm feeling good about that. Got all that done. And it took me every bit of those two hours. And so we were supposed to meet at 430. And I told David, okay, let's meet at 415 because David was going to come with me and take some pictures uh, of this interview happening while we did the interview for, you know, so I could record that this actually happened. Photographic evidence. So four o'clock rolls around and I'm starting to feel it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm about to do this interview and it's a big deal and I don't want to mess it up. And I wasn't really nervous meeting Jeff because I've heard he's such a great guy uh, and I, I knew he would be, he'd be fine, but I, I'd wanted this to go well for you guys, honestly. And I didn't want to mess anything up. So I, I close the laptop, I get all my stuff together and I'm thinking, all right, I, I'm going to go take the edge off. So I actually, I, I need a shot. I don't, I would do a shot of something. Now this is, <laughs> this is not something I normally do. This is not my crutch. This is not my go-to move when I'm feeling nervous. But for some reason I talked myself into maybe because it's DEFCON. I, I don't know. Maybe because I'd already been drinking quite a bit <laughs> anyway this week. You know, let's, let's just, let's just go do, let's just go do a shot of something just, just to kind of take, you know, take any edge off I might have. So I went down and found this little kiosk that sells like, you know, snacks and drinks and various sundries, you know, toothbrushes, whatever. But of course, this being Vegas, they also sold mini bottles of liquor. So I'm like, okay, give me a, give me a, give me a kettle one vodka. And so I, I opened it right then and there, drank it down and then went to go fight in David. So uh, David and I waltzed over to this area, this meeting point about five minutes early and 15 minutes rolls by. It's 10 minutes past when we're supposed to meet. No Jeff. So I'm like, okay. I prepared myself for this. He's tied up. He's busy. You know, maybe we could still do it tomorrow morning. I'm holding my phone, waiting for something. And then 4.45, I get a message from Jeff. Hey, sorry, I got tied up, but I'm ready. Let's do this. And where are you? And so I, well, I'm at the meeting point. Sure enough, Jeff shows up. It's, it's go. Shook my hand. Nice guy. We head back into this room kind of behind the registration booth. It's got two or three goons in there doing something. And, but it's mostly this empty room with a bunch of big round kind of conference style tables, like six foot round tables. And so I head all the way to the back, trying to find the quiet, quietest place possible. And then let me just mention, Jeff, poor guy, is wearing two masks for most of this conference. He's got like a regular cloth mask. And then he's also got this, I did get a good look at it, this white mask that actually has like a glowing light, I think. <laughs> so it was like an active mask of some sort. So he's really trying to stay, you know, healthy. I, I understand. So he sits down, takes off the active mask and just goes to the cloth one because it sounds a lot better. And I asked him, I said, you know, we were six feet apart. We're all vaccinated. I said, do you mind if I take mine off? Because mine was, my mask was bad. It was going to muffle me really badly. And he said, yeah, sure. So uh, that was cool. So, and like I said, we were basically across the, this six foot table from each other anyway. So we were social distance. We were all vaccinated. It should have been all good. So we go back there. I get, start getting things set up. I whip out the laptop. I open up the laptop and it pops up a message. Your battery is low. <laughs> You're going into power saving mode. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so, and of course, I realized at this point that in all my preparations and all the things I was doing, I was, I had not remembered when I was working on this up at my desk to plug the laptop in. So it had been running on battery this whole time and all day, actually. I hadn't been charged since this morning. It's got a long battery, but it had been running all day. And of course, now the battery's running down. I'm like, oh my God. But then, okay, okay, I'm good. Uh, I left the power break upstairs, but I bought myself this nifty new portable battery, uh, USB-C and USB-A and all this fancy stuff. So I whipped that out, power it up, plug it in, nothing. My laptop, for whatever reason, is not understanding USB-C power delivery from this battery. But what really saved my bacon was that I had taken my notes, my interview notes, in a cloud-based note-taking app. So I calmly inform Jeff and David, 
David is there off to the side sitting next to us with my phone because he's taking pictures, as I as I mentioned. And I told David, I said, okay, um, guys, my, my, my laptop is probably going to die in the middle of this interview, but my notes are still on the iPhone. So at some point in the middle of this interview, I may have to stop and ask you to hand me my iPhone. And so you will actually hear this. I edited out the part where I said, oh, my laptop died and talked about that. I edited that part out. But as I'm kind of shuffling through this and having David hand me my phone, David actually interjects a point uh, and you'll hear it because the microphone gain AGC, the automatic gain control cranks up and you can kind of hear the background noise come up. And he makes a comment based on uh, the discussion we were just having. And Jeff picked up on that and kept talking. So you actually hear that in the middle of the interview. That's, that's David saving my bacon. So anyway, got to the phone, opened my notes of the phone, kept going, crisis averted. And of course, luckily, all my recording rig had nothing to do with my laptop. I'd actually considered directly recording to the laptop and thank goodness I didn't. So anyway, that's my story. That's how this all went down. That's how I got to interview him and how the interview itself went. So anyway, thanks for listening to my little story about how we got there. And uh, now it's time for the interview. Here's my interview with Jeff Moss, Dark Tangent, founder of DEFCON and Black Hat. All right. So personally, I've been in software engineering for like 28 years. Uh, but my target audience is like regular, everyday, non-technical people. So like muggles and Harry Potter, you know, many of them, you know, probably don't know any hackers. Right. And, you know, and probably view hacking as a like, mysterious and possibly evil thing, right? Today, I like to try to demystify hacking a little bit and help people understand the hacker community. For starters, what to you is the basic essence of being a hacker? Yeah, good question. So if you're not familiar with the term hacking, it was originally a, uh, a positive term to describe people that would... would could understand the technology in such a way that they could fix things that were broken or make the technology do things it was never intended to do. And in the early days of computing, right, everything was being invented for the first time. And so you had to have people with certain skills that could get around the bottlenecks of this new technology. And then later on, criminals started using computers to commit crimes in lower risk. And so instead of using a term like computer criminal, they, 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 the media sort of appropriated a term for a computer savvy, you know, and so it became hackers. And so that was kind of, that sucked because <laughs> yeah. you would refer to your friends as a good hacker, bad hacker, whatever. And then all of a sudden it has your parents who aren't in your community, their only exposure to the word hacker is this negative one. Right. So a lot of people spend a lot of emotional energy trying to counter that narrative. And at one point there's an uh, effort to rename them to like, um, well, okay, we won't call it the evil computer criminals. Computer criminals, we'll call them spiders. Mm. But then they invented the World Wide Web. <sighs> yeah. I'm like, well, that's not going to work, right? <laughs> and then so we'll call them crackers. But the, they didn't realize that there's another subculture in sort of the hacking space called crackers, and they mm. crack software mm -hmm. protection. And so you can't misappropriate theirs. So then it was just this anything goes, and then the term hacking. Well, then the big change started happening around after the dot-com boom. Every movie, every TV show started to have yeah. a quote-unquote hacker character. Mm. And they're kind of two-dimensional. And their purpose was to move the plot along. Mm. So it's sort of like, we need to find where the blue car is in L.A. Hacker, where is it? Clack, 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 clack. Well, the Kaleidoscope satellite says it's in Santa Monica. Thank you. Let's go to Santa Monica, right? And the point of the hacker was very limited. But now there was a hacker character. Mm. And then over time, those hacking characters have gotten more and more complex. And I think the zenith of it was probably the Mr. Robot TV mm -hmm. show. 
where the it's about the hacker, not about just them being the support character. And they're flawed and have all these issues, but it's a complete human. And you, no, you, uh, cut, you consulted on that, didn't you? Yeah, for two seasons, I was a, a technical advisor for the last two seasons. And that, one of the reasons I was so interested was just because it was a more complete yeah. person. And they had a crazy amount of dedication to having all the tech accurate. Mm, you yeah. know, the, the time was compressed, right? It would take him months to prepare for these hacks. And in TV land, it was like hours. Right. But what he actually did was accurate. And so now I think we're finally in the era where... Like Facebook is on one hack way, right? And the term hack now has been so appropriated everywhere that I think it's really lost its... I still wish the media, though, would call computer criminals computer criminals because it's confusing, right? right? Yeah. Especially now with programmers really using the term hacking. Mm. And it's just proliferated. And the other one was the other cultures... The, the term hacker doesn't necessarily translate well mm. in, in some other cultures. So mm -hmm. we, we've done some DEF CONs in China. And uh, so in China, it's a hacker mm. is how you pronounce it. But the, the translation means like um, sort of like night visitor or unwanted guest. And so hacker is, is clearly negative in Chinese. Okay. So what they're called there, though, to capture the, the meaning of hacker in, in the West, it's security geek. And geek captures the, right? So it's, it's really interesting to how to map that, that, that description of someone who's kind of thinks outside the box, is creative, is not afraid to fail, is okay to challenge assumptions, mm. has all these characteristics, right? The best hackers are fine failing. They're just as happy failing mm. as succeeding. They, they, they like to understand the whole picture. And I think those are characteristics a lot of people have. And if it wasn't computers, I'm sure there's people with a hacking mindset in aerospace, especially in space right now. People mm. building rockets, people being, building microsatellites. There's hackers everywhere overcoming the boundaries of the current technology, inventing something new. And, um, and when we started DEF CON now 29 years ago, we were a teeny little micro subset, 100 people. And the last time we did an in-person show, we had like 29,000. <laughs> and it just tells you that Every year we're thinking, well, that's it. That's as many people as care about this stuff. There's more cons around the world. Mm. Like, that's it. We've got re reached our maximum. And then every year we would grow. And um, it just tells you there's something here that, that people respond to. Yeah. You know? You know, so when I was a kid, I took apart my toys and put them back together in different ways, right? Right. Uh, I'd take uh, parts from different plastic models. I used to make plastic models, but I'd take one some different aircraft carrier and a shuttle, and but I'd put them together in something else totally different. I wouldn't make what was on the box. Right. That led me into engineering personally, but I think that in retrospect, if I'd even known about hacking, I think that would that kind of mindset is probably the same kind of mindset. Right. So, <laughs> in your experience, like what are you know what kind of uh, signs would you see that might be a latent proclivity for hacking in people? And, and are hackers are hackers born or are they made? Yeah, that's the perennial question, <laughs> right? Is it nurture or nature? Right. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, I think. Okay. I think, like, if, if I was born in an earlier era, I would have been probably hacking on automobiles, mm. you know, uh, because at one point there was, what, 160, 200 manufacturers of automobiles. Now there's, in the United States, now there's three or four. Mm. You know, same thing, railroads. There are hundreds of railroads. Now there's two or three. So in that expansion era of anything goes, right, I think that's where the hackers really have room to operate. And then once it all gets locked down or solidified, you know, once it becomes Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, or whatever, right, there's just less opportunity for that freedom. 
And so when I see somebody who's, when I see somebody who says like, hey, how do you do X? I've tried this, I've downloaded this video, I've read this book, I've tried these three things, I can't quite get it to work. You're like, ah, they're really trying to learn. They're trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. They're trying to find other people like themselves that are trying to navigate. But when you find somebody who's like, teach me how to hack, you're like, well, what have you tried? What have you done? What is your... So there is a sort of self-starting element, Yeah. right? Like if they don't have that spark to try three different things, to glue the five model airplanes together, well, sure, I can teach you the rote things and yeah. here's how you run the tools. But I view that more as like info, information security, mm. like as an enterprise skill set. Mm -hmm. Like here's the malware analysis platform. Here's your antivirus platform. Here's how to analyze log files for anomalous behavior. But that's not hacking. Mm. right it's still mm -hmm. security there's right. still things you can do but that's different than the person who's like you know what i have a home lab and i glued three different idea systems and i figured out how to evade them and i'm trying to do this other thing and you're like oh okay that's a different mindset you know and i liken it to in the ad agency world when when advertising really exploded in the 50s and the 60s with mass publications television radio there were people who got involved who were creatives and there were creatives on their own time when mm. they felt creative, they created. Mm. But then that new world of advertising, an ad agency, forced people to become, quote unquote, professionally creative. You had to be creative nine to five, five mm. days a week. And there's some people that can't make that transition. Yeah. Right? That's not them. Right? Yeah. The artist that paints when they feel like it and inspired or the artist that has to produce for the ad campaign. Yeah. And I think there's that, definitely a distinction in the hacking world. There's the people who can be sort of like professional hackers mm. and then ones that hack when sort of inspired. That's a really interesting point. And I, I often tell my daughters, and the, my, I've got one daughter's 21 and one is 19. And you know, so they've been trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives and what they want to be when they grow up. I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> you know, I would caution them, you know, be careful what you choose for your, for your profession versus your hobby. Because yeah. sometimes making your hobby a profession ruins it. Right. And, right. Cause it, you're now someone else is telling you what to do when it's something that it's your outlet that you want to figure out how to do it. Right. So yeah, that's, I think that's a really interesting point. So let's talk about what's going on right now. And, you know, we've got Pegasus, we've got solar winds, we've got colonial pipeline. And it really kind of feels lately like, you know, like we're losing the war for basic cybersecurity. So first, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> and second, frankly, is this even a winnable war in your mind? Yeah. Interesting that you use the word war. Because there's a lot of war analogies that get injected into the conversation. Mm. And if you look at like how people talk about these problems, we don't like we don't have a word that describes the type of person that is especially susceptible to clicking on spear phishing links, right? You might say somebody's curious or somebody's late, but we don't have a word that says he's flabrogedy, <laughs> which means that he's the kind of person that clicks on a link, right? We don't have the right language yet. That's now canon. That's going to be the word. We don't have the right word to describe a lot. So when we're casting about for words, we always seem to end up with a military analogy, mm, yeah. right? It's, it's, so if that's the case, what's cyber high ground, mm. right? What's first strike? What's, you know, dominance? What's, so it, it lends you into a certain type of thinking, yeah, right. right? Then you must have cyber bullets. You must have cyber bombs. Right? What's your cyber tank? Like, what, mm -hmm. are you going to airdrop in the Rangers to unplug a router? You know, and so I worry a little bit that in casting about for the right language, we're going to lock ourselves into a military way of thinking in an area that's predominantly civilian. Right? So sometimes what I think is that, okay, if I'm a company 
and I'm at cyber war with someone, who is my military? My military is my legal department. I would go to my military legal department, and I'd say, go sue the hell out of those people, right? You might not be able to identify the Russian hackers in Russia, but you can get a thousand John Doe indictments. Hmm. You can get a thousand John Doe, you know what I mean? There's, and, and I worry that the American um, enterprise are not fully embracing their military, their legal department, enforcing these international legal issues, you know, these issues. And instead, they're relying on the military or intelligence mm. to solve. And so it feels like we're sort of fighting with one arm tied behind our back a little bit because we're not deploying all of our ways of, of defending ourselves, right? And for a while, Microsoft would have these bounties for botnet operators, right? If Microsoft would say half a million dollars, whoever helps us identify or take down this botnet. It's like, great, where are all the other companies doing this? Why doesn't mm. Apple have the million dollar bounty and Facebook have the million dollar bounty? Why is the, all the Chinese and the uh, Europeans, like we're not, we're, we're not taking this seriously because we're not deploying all the things we can do. Like I can donate $5 a month to help stray cats in my neighborhood. I can donate money to the ACLU. Where do I donate money to go mess with criminals? Hmm. Like I want to donate to a group that do nothing but run around and chase online criminals and make their life miserable. But I can't do that, hmm. right? Those organizations haven't been built yet. They're not ready. We're in such early days. And so back to the original point about the cyber war, the attacks that are being used are not necessarily that novel. Spear phishing, nothing new there in 20 years, right? What's novel is the impact has changed. Right? Colonial pipeline, well, now it's gasoline. But it wasn't gasoline because they're messing with the pumps. It's gasoline because the Colonial's billing system went down. And if they couldn't right. bill customers for gas, nobody gets gas. Right. <laughs> which I disagree with that on a business decision, mm. right? That, but, but it was their business decision, a crappy one. But if that's what you're going to do, then don't say that's some highly sophisticated, that's you with a bad billing system, no backup. Mm. And so you turn the gas off on people. Right. So I think what's happening, though, is the impact is getting bigger. And what you were seeing is when Russia, who's predominantly behind these ransomware attacks, they're using ransomware and other means of conflict to push their national agenda. And as America doesn't, we don't have a good counter to that. Because mm. as Americans, we're not going to ransom them. Mm. We're not going to cause their hospitals to shut down. Right. That's not who we are. Right. But. But they're willing to do that in return because it advances their, their interest, shows that our system is quote-unquote weak, um, uh, enables all kinds of other counter-narratives for them. It's an asymmetric situation. Yeah. So I, I worry about that, but I wouldn't say it's a war, right? I would say it's a conflict, uh, and it's a big you, you know, contested war of memes, sort of. And, uh, and I don't think our side's taking it seriously enough, you know, from the businesses to the, the government policies, so... Interesting. Look what to look at it because it's not gangsters with moonshine. It's like said, the war analogy that we use. There's yeah. a good way of sort of getting your arms around it. No, and, and so you go to what you understand. Mm -hmm. And and so and so the the problem is in that area, you know, they would say, like, well, is cyberspace a fifth domain of war? And in the United States we decided yes. You know, they debated about it for a long time. Is it sort of like Folgers crystals that sprinkled over the other four domains? Mm -hmm. Or is it a new domain, and they decided in the United States, yes, it's a new domain. But different countries think of it differently. So the interesting part for me is if, if you fight 
on land. And you kill people and they die and they go on the ground. The ground is still the ground, right? You blow up a tank, the ground's still the ground. You shoot down an airplane, the airplane flies out of the, falls out of the sky, hits the ground, sky is still there, space is still there. You sink a ship or a submarine, sea is still there, right? Those other four domains are kind of permanent. But in cyberspace, you start having conflict, it restructures itself. It's not the same cyberspace it was yesterday. The mm -hmm. rules, the routing, the filtering, everything changes. So you duke it out in cyberspace a few times, and you have a whole brand new internet. Mm -hmm. But you duke it out in space all day long, and space is still space, <laughs> right. right? And so the physics of the domain are, are, are different because... If we're not careful, we'll fundamentally change the nature of cyberspace in such a point that it'll be a place we don't really want our kids. It's, it's, it'll be different. And I don't think there's enough acknowledgement about that, right? Yes, you can have conflict in cyberspace, but you might end up with a cyberspace you don't recognize or want. Right. And you're starting to see this happen with these sort of three domains, the rule of law countries, the sort of undecideds, and then the authoritarian countries, the, you know, Iran, China, Russia. And it's kind of gone from one internet to these three amorphous groups, and they're going to start to solidify, and they're going to start applying pressure on the middle groups to try to make them decide, hey, are you team authoritarian? Are you team rule of law? And that's going to be what's happening over the next 10, 15 years until there's very few people in the middle. And we're going to have like a sort of two-speed, two-and-a-half-speed internet. All right, I want, to, I want to bring privacy into this a little bit. In your mind, what is the relationship between privacy and cybersecurity? And, uh, you know, what is the right balance in your mind between, like, our individual right to privacy, which I, I think we probably both firmly agree in, mm -hmm. but the desire, the natural desire for law enforcement, uh, you know, to have some surveillance because they're charged to protect us. Right. How do you see the right balance or how do we find the right, the right balance? The issues have gotten very complicated with mm -hmm. many equities. So I'm not, I used to be pretty much of a privacy expert. Not, not now so much because it just, it's gotten very complicated. But a couple points, it's always generally presented as a dichotomy. It's either privacy or security. And very few people acknowledge that it's both. You mm -hmm. can do both. They're mm -hmm. not mutually exclusive. And so when I hear people talk about them as sort of exclusive ends of a spectrum, I discount what their, their credibility. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think they're as well informed mm -hmm. because it's not either or. You can have both. You can have neither. You can have... It's a, Right, it's multi-dimensional, mm -hmm. but it's really easy to have a polarizing conversation if you pit one against the other. Mm -hmm. It's a slider bar. It's so simple. Why don't we just slide it over here for safety? Mm -hmm. And and the other part is there's a lot of unintended consequences, and a lot of times you don't understand what those unintended consequences are until further down the road. So, for example, I believe Netflix would years ago Netflix released a bunch of data and challenged people to hey make our prediction algorithm better and you can win a million dollars. Right, I remember that. Yeah, and we've obfuscated the data so it's depersonalized and then some university team de-anonymizes it and reveals the identity of all the people. Right. And, and so <laughs> Netflix thinks they're doing the right thing. They're thinking about privacy. They're removing the, what they believe to be the unique identifiers and then they get regenerated. So you thought you were getting security, you thought you were getting privacy of the data and in, in the end you didn't. And there's a lot of cases like that where you think you're doing the right thing and you're really not. And so even when you think that you're doing something to enhance privacy. And so a lot of times it's turning into now, if you can't protect the data, don't collect the data. Mm -hmm. 
because honestly, the more data you collect, the more attractive it becomes. Right. Or companies do, uh, companies lie to you. They'll say things like, we only keep your uploaded data for 24 hours for performance testing or whatever. What they do is they'll take like your pictures that you're uploading to their cloud service and they'll train their AI model on it. And then they'll throw away the collected data. But they don't tell you, yes, but they've trained their system on all of your data. Mm. So they don't need your original data. They've abstracted it and gotten what they wanted and they can access it at any time through their AI model. And so, so there are privacy implications that, that people are not even aware of. Right, and then counter to that, you have the FBI arguing that we're going dark. Mm -hmm. They've been saying that for like 15 years, and they're still catching bad guys. And we're in this golden age of surveillance, everything, telemetry from Windows to iPhones to. Every, I mean, there's more data generated than ever. There's more subpoenas going around. Like, I don't believe is the access to data is 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 the is the creating a golden age of crime. Mm -hmm. I, if anything, it's the opposite. And, uh, and I think we are not having totally honest conversations about it. One, because you don't quite understand what Google's doing with your data, so you can't really have an informed decision because don't, you don't understand your risk there. Or the other thing is with the consumer, it's hard to tell that when you, when you make a choice and your, your privacy is compromised, it's hard to tell what decision you made that led to that compromise. Mm -hmm. so, so, for example... You're at Walmart or whatever, and they're doing a facial recognition, and they're identifying you, and they're tracking you around the store because they're really trying to figure out, and they're triangulating your Wi-Fi on your phone, the Bluetooth, and the because they really want to see how long do you linger in front of the Cheerios? Uh -huh. Do you spend more time looking at cart? You know, they're they're really trying to figure out. Well, how do we rearrange the shelf so you're more right. likely to buy more Cheerios? Right. But then they've got that data, and then you may as well monetize that as well. And so you sell that on, and you sell right. it on, and it gets aggregated, and and so. Was your fatal mistake looking at Cheerios? And you know what I mean? So yeah. you can't, whereas if it's something physical and you're at the gas station and you turn your back and somebody pickpockets you, you're like, ah, okay, don't turn my back when I'm at the gas pump, right? You can learn that lesson mm -hmm. immediately. Ah, okay, don't leave the cap off my beer because somebody might roofie me. Whatever it is, right, you yep. learn that immediately. But for this, these privacy, there's no feedback loop. Right. So right, it's right, right. really hard for people to even make an informed like, oh, I just did something that was risky. I went into Walmart without my face covered. Like they don't know that. Right. All right. So because I've got the engineering background, I'm the family IT guy. So, uh, you know, people are constantly asking me, okay, well, Carrie, what do I do about this? Or how do I protect my privacy or security? You must get that all the time from your non-technical friends and family. Yeah. So from a practical matter, what do you tell them when they ask you those questions? What are your top tips for just... My top tips is buy an iPhone. Don't use iCloud, right? Don't use Gmail. If you can, use a small, smaller email provider. You know, I, I'm just about... It's about data minimization. Yeah. And my personal thing is I try to keep my data out of the big cloud providers, just any of them. And I know I can't, but I try. You know, I use ad blocking software to minimize my, my cookie footprint. And so it depends on what their, what their threat model is. Mm. Like, okay, if you're a government person, that's different than if you're just a random, you know, art major. But you want them to start thinking about what are you putting on your personal profile? Do you really have to be on Facebook? Or can you be only on LinkedIn? Like, can you minimize your interactions and get better, actually a little better mental health? Because sort of the less, less social platforms you're on, maybe the less you worry about. You know, if you're a Windows user, 
There's some basic security features you can do. Don't run as the administrator, run as a user. Mm -hmm. Update your malware, keep up to date on, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot. You can get a, I should put it this way, there's a lot you can gain with very few actions. Right. The danger is, if you look at how all these pieces are compromised, it's phishing, so you're clicking on a link and you have too much privileges. You're running as the administrator instead of a user. So when they do get you, you kind of give away the whole show, right. right? So, and that's something I don't think developers do well, least privilege, right? They don't do it well. It's like, well, we need all these dependencies to install our software. Like Adobe Photoshop doesn't need to be an administrator to paint, but it wants administrator privileges just because that's the way it's always done it. Right, right, right. right. So getting people in that mindset, and then the biggest, most important part, I would say, is make backups. Yeah. Your phone is going to get lost or broken. Your laptop will get stolen. Have backups. And then, comma, by the way, if you get ransomware attacked, you have a backup. Right. And so it serves so many different purposes that, and it's, people expect you to come up with like some James Bond solution, you know, Mission Impossible upside down, back up your data. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. And so it's not so sexy, but you'll feel really good. <laughs> right. All right. So before we go, I got to ask you a couple questions about DEF CON. Sure. Um, so as a technical guy, I've been to several conferences, you know, from WWDC to CES. I was lucky enough to go to that before, you know, COVID hit. Yeah. But, you know, hacking conferences, and I've only been to a few, but they have a very different vibe. And it, to me, it feels like more like a guild meeting of fellow craftsmen you know, or craftswomen, right? Um, you know, it's a tight-knit but totally open community of practitioners who are committed, you know, to the ideals of hacking as a craft, you know, and as a culture. It's a very different vibe. So how, how do you manage to maintain that vibe with a conference as big as DEF CON for 30 years? Well, it's never been that purposeful in the sense that I think around DEF CON 3 or 4, when the con was bigger than I was, like mm. enough things happened that I never knew about. Like at 1, 2, mostly 3, I could kind of walk around. I knew everything that was happening. It was cool. But by 4, 5, people would start telling me stories that happened at my con <laughs> that I didn't even know happened. <laughs> sure. And emotionally, That must like, be weird. It's weird. You're like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I wish I saw that. And so then it's something huh. you have to be emotionally okay with it's bigger than right. you. Right. Wow, yeah. Right? It's larger than you. And you're happy other people had these other experiences, but you can't share in those experiences. You weren't there. Huh. But I could share in my other experience. You know? Yeah. And once you get past that, you realize that the con is really a reflection of the community. And so we have the saying, it's kind of corny, but it's really DEF CON is what you make of it. Hmm. So if you come in here looking to make friends, you'll make friends. If you come in here looking to compete in the CTF and show off your skills, you can do, you know, it's really about what you, if you want to come in here and be a surly, you know, troublemaker, that's what you'll do. But we can't force you to be a CTF competitor or force you to be great at social engineering, right? We just, and so we turn into this sort of meta conference, a conference of conferences, mm. right? And so then what... So then what we started focusing on was, okay, if that's our identity, how do we foster that? So the idea is, look, okay, well, our core is these crazy hackers, like that mentality that I described. Mm. So anything that makes it more hacker is good. Anything that makes it more infosec, we have to think it through because we're not trying to create better enterprise job skills. We're trying to create better hacking mindset. There's plenty of enterprise security thing. That's great. But we've really, in the last five, 10 years, really thought about how do, we, how do we become more hacker? And 
That means taking apart a PlayStation might be super awesome. But that's not going to advance your career at your company. Right. But it's like your private time. It's, your, it's the thing that inspires you. So we try to think of how do you get like that um, the spark of discovery, that joy of discovery, like your eyes light up. Like, I just picked my first lock. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but that's yeah. not going to help you get a job. <laughs> but it's awesome. And now you're like, you mean every time I look at these locks, I can just mm. go? It's like, oh, yeah, that's how the world works. And you right. didn't know that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. And now they see the world through different lenses. The world, the real world has been revealed to them before. The lock. red bill. Right. The world is different 10 minutes ago. But now you have a more accurate view. And um, so things like that we try to focus on. And then we try to just acknowledge that it's bigger than us. Focus on the hackers. And then the other things you said, there's like, yeah, 30,000 people show up. Well, nobody wants to be in a sea of 30,000 people. So then you're like, okay, how do we break people up and get them to meet other people? Mm. Okay, so you're into hardware. There's hardware hacking. There's soldering. There's hardware reverse engineering. So you kind of get in that area. And then you're like, you know, I really like hardware security. And then you're kind of over in that area. And the next thing you know, you're in hardware. And now you're at a table with 10 or 20 people. Mm. And you're like, wow, what do you know? And then four hours later, you're now you're at the lock picking table in a table with 10 or 20 people, and they're learning how to pick a lock. But you're in a place with 30,000 people, but we've created all these like off-ramps into yeah. different communities. Yeah. And you can you can visit 10 of them, 15, you know, you right. can bounce between them. And it's not it's not one amount, you know, homogenized experience. Right. And so some people do nothing but come to talks. And then other people proudly have a shirt that says, not one talk, not ever. <laughs> you know, they don't go to talks. They go for the other things. And so, so each person kind of takes out of DEF CON what they're looking for, but they also make it differently. And so sometimes when we're criticized, they'll say, well, you know, DEF CON's different than it was. I don't, I don't. And so, well, yeah, of course it's different. The community is different, mm. right? There's no more, more diversity. There's more topics. There's more... Smart, there weren't smart cars 10 years ago. So there's a car hacking village now, right? That did, of course it's different. And if you don't like what it's sort of become, that's because it has changed. And we cannot fix it in a period of time, right? We can't freeze the Alexis Park in a bottle and say yeah. that's what it's going to be for us. Yeah, yeah. Some people don't like hearing that. Yeah. And so I think being okay that you can't please all people all the time it's always going to be a reflection of the community. And all you can do is try to set the standards, try to set the example. So, for example, this year, vaccinations required, masks are required. And we picked that really early on. And a lot of people beat us up and said, no, you have to tie it to the CDC or WHO. You have to have some standard because you're not doctors. And then we saw the CDC flip their opinion a couple times and WHO. We're like, well, you know what? It's a respiratory virus that you're going to inhale. It's not going to come in my ear. Uh, masks, right? And there's a vaccine available. We'll do that. And you're never going to please all of Some people don't want right. to come. Oh, sure. Yeah. But who would you rather anger? <laughs> yeah. So you have to make some hard choices. But in the end, uh, you have to be okay, right, with that. And, and the community is looking to you to sort of show what you're, you're – so, for example, DEF CON, we were the first conference to have a transparency report. Hmm. How many people did we kick out? How many uh, allegations of abuse? How many – uh, goons did we reprimand for misbehavior? How many attendees did we, you know, were arrested mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And once we do that, a lot of other conferences will follow, right? Then right after us, there was a programming conference. And now it's sort of a thing. But when we started, it was kind of seen as, wow, 
you know, we had a code of conduct um, that a lot of people have copied. And so we've tried to lead in a lot of these areas because we're already dealing with it. We're just not talking about it. We are already kicking people out, but we're never writing down and telling everybody how many people we kicked out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what's the harm in that? May as well tell. So we've tried to lead in a lot of these areas. And, and that changes the sort of public perception. Yeah. You know? But I think it's all for the better. You know? It, it just adds to a burden of everything you have to do. Right, so the right, conference right, right. has a lot more sort of administrative. Okay, oh, sure, we have, yeah. We publish a warrant canary in case to say, you know, we've yeah. been certain, and you know, we have these privacy policies and we have these data sharing policies and da 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 da, and uh, but I don't think you, you have the credibility unless you do all of these things, mm. you know. So it's a simple thing. Let's have a party, and it turns into like almost a year round planning. <laughs> I'm sure adventure. <laughs> I am sure. <laughs> Okay, so we've had two weird ones, right? We've had safe mode, which was all virtual, and then we had this year, which was hybrid 29, and next year, of course, is the big 3.0. So I hope it's in person. Oh, God, yes, yes. It better be. Yes. Yeah, we were calling this year 29, like, DEF CON different. <laughs> so, obviously, yeah, I remember in the, in the opening remarks, you, you know, you kind of said that, you know, it's a two and a half times harder to do a hybrid than it was to do a regular one. But is there anything, that, any takeaways from 29 that you do want to carry forward? Anything that, you know, because I think a lot of companies in the Zoom era have realized that they're, you know what, people can work from home, for example. Right. Or there are some of these conferences where uh, the original keynote was uh, people up on stage and you know, all these applause lines that you wade through. And Apple's now, and some of others have done this completely pre-prepared thing that was like tight. You get their points across. Yeah. And so they, they, they have this, they kind of carried forward some of the hybrid. So is there anything that you take away from 29 that you do want to carry forward? And do you have, I got to ask, do you have anything really cool playing for 30 on your head, on your mind already? Yeah. So I think, I think there'd be definitely be an online component going forward for Discord or DEF CON forums or something, right? I think that part is gonna stay. It's just not gonna to be to the total size. Because I think if you're the, I don't know, I'll pick like the adversary village. They'd much rather put all their effort into doing one thing instead of having to do two and a half things, yeah, right? right? They just, because, so I'm not, I would not be surprised if a lot of energy goes, if it's a physical event, all the energy is gonna go into physical, but there's still people online that wanna participate. There's some contests where you can participate, you know, scavenger hunt people. There's no necessary reason why you can't participate remotely. So I always think there will be some remote aspect and it'll be greater than what's been in the past, but I don't think it'll ever be like this. I mean, it's just, like I said, there's too much, too much effort. I love that people around the world got a taste or get a taste right. of DEF CON last year and right. this year, but now you have time zones. So what are your hours of operation? <sighs> right. Right. And yeah. so now you need to have staff moderating. And that was the killer. That was sort of the unintended soul sucker is moderation. Yeah, like sure. I have sympathy for these giant platforms, social platforms <laughs> that have to moderate because here, if there's a troublemaker, you kick them out of the hotel and they're physically gone. But online they can auto-bot, come back a thousand times, they can spawn, it's a yeah. nightmare. Yeah. And so you need to have a really robust moderation strategy and anti-abuse strategy and coordination with the platform security and safety team. And you have to, I just wanna have a conference, you know, and you spend all your time having to have your anti-botnet strategy. Right. And in person, no such thing. Right. Sometimes so just, that's why we can't have nice things, right? Yeah, and you have to have three times as many people because there's three times, you know, and so. Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I get, then I've got to ask this one. So. Yeah, yeah, oh, DEF CON 30, big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're thinking we're already inviting some speakers for next year that are people you want to get your invites in early because I think what's going to happen is if it looks like in four or five months that the vaccination strategy is improving and things are open up, 
everybody's going to plan their conferences and all the cool speakers are going to get booked up. Mm. So I've got to get my invites mm. in now before mm. everybody's so confident for next year, mm-hmm. right? So there's a little bit of that. And we'll be at the new Caesars Convention Center, okay, which is a big, huge rectangular box <laughs> attached to three hotels. And so we'll have another pool. I love the pool parties we're having here. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get a pool next year. And so we're really thinking about the next year's theme. And we really think it's going to be at Celebration of Hacking and also a little bit of like, where did we come from? Where are we going? Mm. But it's going to be um, you know, a lot of music, a lot of focus on the community, I think. So we're trying to think, how do we do that? How do we bring people together now? Especially, I think people are going to be a lot of tension relief. Right. right. If if it if it yeah. happens, right, a lot of reunion, a lot of lost friends that are going to pass yeah. away over the last couple of uh, years. Just, them, just yeah. Shoot. like yeah. so. So one of the other things is we've been we we have a, a memorial this year. Um, we've tried because as a community, we're so young, we haven't really figured out how do you even acknowledge or mourn those that came before us. Mm. Right. I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, mm. but we haven't really figured that out yet. Right. So it'd be great if we figured that out together, yeah. right? And so a few years ago, I started this moment of silence at DEF CON at the closing, which I'll do again this year, okay. just to force people to acknowledge that we're not here forever, yeah. you know, but maybe there's more we can do than that. I don't know. And so, so the party next year is going to be definitely in the celebration mode. And also we have new organizers for the Capture the Flag team we, yep, we have to right, announce. Yeah. So we'll, that'll be something new. There's, there'll be a sort of... Hackasat is doing a three-year plan building toward this launch of this cool satellite. Next year will be their middle, really exciting. I think a lot of people are saving their secret sauce for next year. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm really looking forward to that. But again, this year, because we were doing this virtual, we did something we've never done before. We had online registration. Right. Which is absolutely terrible, and I hate doing it. Right, because um, there's always cash only before we're at the door, right? Cash only. It's anonymous. I yep. take your money. It goes in the bank, and I'm done. Yeah. Now we're getting hundreds of emails a day. I have a full-time employee who does nothing but answering uh, emails. Wow. You've got chargebacks, and you've got weird missed mail. It's bouncing, <sighs> shipping. It's, and none of that helps the mm. experience of the con. Mm. But you have to do that because you don't know how many programs to buy because you don't know how many people are coming, so you have to pre-register. Right. So if that all goes away and we're doing in-person next year, how many people are coming? We don't know. Yeah, I heard someone was saying that we don't know it until the end. Like, like the closing ceremonies is when you finally may have a handle on how many people actually showed up. Yeah, yeah. And so, so again, you, you can't, you're always trading one thing off right yeah. um, against the other. And when we try to optimize for simplicity and privacy. So, for example, when it's all cash at the door, there's no records to subpoena. <laughs> and if there's no records to subpoena, I don't have to hire a lawyer. And if I don't have to hire a lawyer, I don't have to spend the money. You know, it's, right. So, yes, it's nice that everybody gets some additional privacy. Mm. And it's great that I don't have to spend the money. Mm. Like double win. You're right. right. It's sort of like I've engineered myself out of that problem. Yes. And you can see Apple and others trying to do the same thing. They're trying to engineer themselves out of this encryption peer-to-peer. Right. 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 So that's been our little hack. All right, man, last question. How much longer do you want to do this? And in my, and as I was writing this question and thinking about how I was going to ask you, given what I've seen here and what I know about the hacker culture, I could totally see you pulling some sort of this Willy Wonka, you know, pass the torch thing where you have the golden tickets and you, you're vetting oh, in somehow these people. I don't, are gonna, you know. 
It's funny you ask this. So it's, <laughs> it's not a, a, a secret, but I don't, I've never talked about it publicly before. But, you know, there were two books that came out within about a year of each other. Ready Player One yep. and Daniel Suarez's Damon. Okay. And in both books, it was a super billionaire software company. <laughs> and both of them died. And in both of them, they left something behind to like, so in Ready Player One, it was whoever solves the mystery. Right. Gets to, and in and Damon, the person dies and it creates this parallel thing. And they're questing about for the people who will lead the new okay. online, right? And so it really made me think about, I wonder if you could do the same like, Defcon quest to see who's going to be the new leader, right? And it's a multi-puzzle, and you've been mm. planting the seeds for years. Right. And who has the right, you know, skill of CTF and management and personality? <laughs> and, but I'm always thinking, how cool would that be? You know, or you get hit by a bus and they open your will, and it's like, <laughs> right. You now have started the Defcon quest for uh. a new leader. But you, know, I, I do think about succession a lot in that companies that are successful plan for that and defcon we've had we've been around for so long we've had department leaders come and go we have you know primaries and secondaries and other people and it's sort of structured that because this is a labor of love for so many people sometimes their job is taken away they just can't be here one year mm. right but since the show must go on that's okay their number two's got it covered or, or this year number threes are doing the roles of some number ones and so so structurally we're kind of okay but just not when it comes to me or some of our key employees. And I feel like I owe it to the community to have some sort of plan that if I do get hit by a bus, it all doesn't collapse, right? Mm -hmm. And the new people would make it a new thing. But I have been thinking a lot about how do you how do you pass the torch successfully? And some some conferences are nonprofits now and they have a whole board. Mm. But again, that's sort of like you have a lot of groupthink. Mm. I think a conference like DEF CON is pretty successful because there is a, a, a strong personality that makes at some point the buck ultimately stops somewhere. The benevolent dictator. Yeah, it doesn't stop at the committee. Yeah. It stops at the person. Yeah. Right? So you get all the arrows, but you also get the control. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and some people need to know that there's a, a face at the end of the, whether you agree or hate, there's a, and so you'd want to have that kind of a, a potential personality where you're like you're signing on to their vision sort of so yeah so it's something i want to think about and, and come up to a solution for especially you know it's so funny that, that i mean the pandemic forces you to think all these things you That's have a lot of too. Yes. a lot of time to think and a lot of time to wonder like well what if i do get burdened out or what if my wife gets it in my family and something and i can't right. you know put the yep. time in like i better have a plan because i don't want to walk away from this and let it fail right so yeah that introspection of the covid era so for the foreseeable future, you're in for it, but you're uh, you're working on something. I would way. love to have it last bigger than me, last oh, more sure. than me, right? Legacy, that be, sure. Yeah. So I haven't fully thought that through. Just starting to talk to some friends about it, but you know, it, it, I think it's a sign of, of of a maturity of an organization to think beyond their founder, right? You know, but I don't know. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> oh. Well, Jeff, this has been awesome. It's everything I was hoping to be. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. So big thanks again to Jeff and huge thanks to Melanie for setting this up. I, I still, I'm still pinching myself. I can't believe this happened, but I'm also just really, really happy that I had the chance to meet Jeff. He really is a great guy. So, so happy I had this chance to interview him and I hope it's not my last. So a couple, couple 
epilogue points here. So first of all, when this is done, I've got everything. This My whole interview is sitting on this little tiny Sony recorder, and I'm like treating it like gold, like like I have to protect this thing at all costs. My laptop's dead, so I can't plug it in there to make a copy. I need to get to my room, plug into my laptop, and make a copy, get this file off of this little recorder before I drop it in the water or step on it. Or, I mean, you know, you're just, you're envisioning all sorts of bad things happening to this, right? So anyway, get up to the room, plug in the laptop, bring it to life, put it on there, then put it in a cloud drive. Like I had multiple copies of this thing within 10 minutes of this interviewing over before I was feel comfortable about it. And then I had to sit there and listen to it because then I was afraid, oh my God, something went wrong and I, and I didn't get his audio or, or, or there was some nasty hum throughout the whole thing or anyway. But so I finally just kind of poked around and listened to it and different points I'm like, okay, it's all there. We're all good. Actually, I didn't really get around to listening to the entire interview until the plane ride home on Monday. It's funny because as you do the interview, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about the next question a little bit. You know, maybe sometimes I don't hear exactly what he says. There, there are things that I picked up from the interview that I myself conducted after the fact when I actually had a chance to go back and listen to it later. Now, speaking of which, a couple things. So Jeff just going to new term. And for somebody who is susceptible to phishing, apparently we are going to now be calling this Flerbalgany. Flerbalgany? Flerbalgany? Jeff, how did you say that? Flerbalgany. So that is now canon. That is now a term of art. A couple of things I thought were really interesting to me about this interview. First of all, he was absolutely right to call out the fact that security and privacy are not a dichotomy. They're not mutually exclusive, which, of course, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I've said this many times myself. Uh, but even I, in asking the question, it's so easy to fall back on that kind of terminology, even as I express the question. So he was right to call that out. But I would encourage you to check out a couple of things if you're if you're not sold on the idea that they are not mutually exclusive, that you need to, you know, take apart privacy in order to have security couple things. First of all, check out a book called Privacy is Power by Carissa Velis. Uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. I did a review on my blog. You can check that out there. Just buy it. It's really a great book. Also, there's a TED Talk from Glenn Greenwald on privacy that's really good. Uh, there's an essay from Bruce Schneier about privacy that's great. I'll put links to those in the show notes. Check those out for sure. I thought it was really interesting, and I suppose you could probably tell because of my reaction during the interview that I never really thought about this. But I mean, it, it was interesting to me when he said that at some point early on, that the con became bigger than him. Like that there was a point when it was so big that it, he was finding out things that happened at his own convention that he had not personally experienced and how Zen he was about that and how accepting he was of, of that whole thing. I know that I'm kind of a control freak when I have a create something that would be hard for me. I think I would have really struggled with that. So I, I thought that was a really interesting insight from Jeff. Also hope that somehow he comes up with his Willy Wonka slash ready player one, you know, crazy, contest or something to find his successor. I also wanted to quickly kind of revisit this notion of craftsmanship because I said the term multiple times. And one of the reasons I had said that is because I actually ran a group at Cisco called Craftsmanship Forum, something I was really proud of actually. And I'd probably done it for four straight years. It was, you know, a lot of people would call these things like lunchtime learning or, you know, these kind of things where people give presentations while you guys have lunch and learn about something new, which is great. But for me, it was a different thing. I kind of took it to a different level. And for me, it was about improving our craft and treating it as a craft. It's not just a job. It's not just learning individual skills and techniques. It was about caring about what you do and the quality of what you produce and furthering the cause, like, you know, new horizons, you know, making things better and finding new and better ways to do things, uh, which obviously would include things like security and privacy. 
But I even expanded that beyond that to include improving yourself, like as a, as a human being, because at the end of the day, uh, making yourself better will make you better at anything you're doing. So, I, you know, I guess I was a little pre-biased to see things through that lens, but I really felt that vibe uh, at DEF CON. So if you want to learn more about hacking and hackers, check out first. Absolutely. Go check out the DEF CON documentary. It's free. It's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. It's under two hours. I forget how long, but it's, uh, it's not, it's not super long, but you also might want to check out a couple other documentaries. Check out the one called 2600, another one called zero days. Those are really good documentaries. But if you want to read about hackers, check out a book called hackers by Stephen Levy. Um, I'm actually in the middle of it right now. And it really, I mean, it goes back to the original, like way back into the sixties when the very first computers were coming online and the people that were working on those computers and did some of the original hacking. So if you really want to get the definitive, I think this is, I think this is the book. And of course I will put links to all that in the show notes. I will also mention that I gave Jeff one of my challenge coins. I gave one of the goons that were the, that did the interview a challenge coin. And I sent one to Melanie too, just as, just to say, thanks. There are now 60 of those original hundred still available. I will be doing some sort of a promotion uh, or campaign in the near future to distribute some more of those. And again, should you meet me anywhere and present that coin, it's worth a free drink on me. And I sincerely hope to be buying some drinks. If nothing else, DEFCON 30 for sure. Now, if you want to see the coin, if you want to learn more about it, if you hadn't heard about it yet, if you're a new listener, go to d20key.com, d20key.com. Uh, there's a tab up the top called coin. If you click that, it'll give you the full scoop. But I wanted to make something really cool and collectible for my patrons and for special friends of the show, I guess. And, uh... Anyway, I was really proud of the way that turned out. And I built the website as a kind of cool way to use this challenge going to actually generate secure passphrases. All right, real quick before we go, I actually have some really nice, I got a bunch uh, of new, well, three new reviews of the book and the podcast that I want to read. I said I would read them on the air if you guys post them. It's really awesome that you do this because it makes a big difference for me. So I appreciate it. So I just wanted to say thank you by reading them out loud. So uh, first one's from Hal and it's a five-star review. It says computer security that is easy to understand. Lots of good information about computer security and good practices to avoid the pitfalls of hackers and scams. If you use a computer and don't know much about computer security, this is the book for you. It's easy to read, explain things in non-jargon, easy to understand ways and helps you maintain good practices while using a computer. The author also has a podcast, which has many interesting topics and interviews that pertain to headlines in the news about computer security. Awesome. Thank you, Hal, for that. And then one more book review from Seth B. And it's five stars. Thank you. And it says, not just for noobs, very useful for cybersecurity experts. If you've ever wondered, how can I protect my data and implement privacy and security measures now on my computer, then get this book immediately. Other books will only teach you one thing, Wi-Fi hacking or Python scripting applied to cybersecurity, etc. And books like that have their place. But this book is by far the most immediately practical as far as implementing procedures to keep your data safe from big government and big tech. It'll show you practical steps to back up and encrypt your data, best practices for social media apps, even procedures to get off credit card offer lists. Don't give your ISP or the tech bros any more data than you have to. Thank you, Seth. That was wonderful. And then I got a five-star review for the podcast as well. What a banner week this has been. Uh, this one's from Holomorph. And it says, keep up to date in cybersecurity. I don't have time to rove through scores of websites to keep up with cybersecurity news. Parker brings it all into one short, fun, and entertaining podcast that's easy to listen to. He has very practical concerns and doesn't get bogged down into unnecessary detail. Keep it up. I will do that. Thank you, Holomorph. And thanks to all of you for those reviews. They really, really are helpful. And if there's more posted, I'll keep an eye on them and I will read them here. 
All right, guys, this is it. Uh, we've got some great uh, interview shows coming up. I've got an interview with Todd Austin from the Uni University of Michigan, who worked with his team on the Morpheus CPU security framework, which is really interesting. So that's coming up soon. Of course, we've got a big news show next week. I'll talk about that whole Apple child porn filter thing. And then I've got some other ones in the works too, including from some folks I met at DEF CON. So lots of great interviews on the horizon. So subscribe if you haven't. Would love to get some great reviews on the podcast or the book, either on iTunes or on Amazon. Become a patron on Patreon and you can hang out with me on Discord. I'm having a lot of fun talking to the folks there. And that'll do it this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay safe out there, everybody. Please get vaccinated. And until next week, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. <laughs>